Well, good morning again. You could take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Genesis. Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And if you're using a pew Bible, I think you'll find that on page 2. It may be on page 1, but at least it's either on the first one or two pages of that copy of the Scripture. It is so good to sing about the promises of God And all those promises, Peter calls them exceeding great and precious promises, we find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Every single promise of God finds its amen, its yes and amen in Jesus. And that's why every service that we have, we we seek to make much of Jesus. We really want our hearts and our minds to be drawn to him. Jesus himself said, before he went to the cross, he said, if I be lifted up, he was referring to as being lifted up in crucifixion, I will draw all people to myself. And, and he will do that work, specifically in this area of our rest. So I'm going to read these first three verses to get this in our mind. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I heard a story a long time ago about some prisoners in a concentration camp. I don't know how true it is, but at least it makes for a good story. So there's these prisoners in a concentration camp, and they were told to move this big pile of rocks from one end of the camp all the way to the other. So the soldier in charge of them says, take this pile of rocks, move it from here all the way over there. So they get to work, lifting these huge big rocks. They're sweating, they're panting. They finally get it over to the other end of the camp. When finally they've moved the entire pile of rocks, the soldier says, take that pile of rocks and move it from that end of the camp all the way to that end of the camp. And so they do it again. When they finally complete that task, he says, all right, go move the pile back to that end of the camp again. Over and over and over again. And it is said that that work drove some of those prisoners insane repetitive, pointless labor that gives no opportunity to stand back and look with satisfaction, no completion, is dehumanizing. It's torturous. And in this passage, we have God giving to us the very foundations of what it means for us to be human beings, not dehumanized by futile, pointless, repetitive labor that has no sense of completion or point. But here's what it means to be human. It means to be created in God's image, like we've been talking about the past couple weeks, to bear the divine stamp within ourselves, and within that image-bearing nature, we are to work and rest. And God sets the example for us by when he finishes the creation, he himself rests. And so this morning, I want us to consider from this text and from the others in the Bible, this theme, the rest you need. 
the rest you need. And I want to do it in this order. First of all, we're going to look at God's purpose for rest, and then our need for rest, and then God's provision for rest. The rest you need, God's purpose for rest, our need for rest, and then God's provision for rest. First of all, let's consider God's purpose, God's purpose for rest. Why did God rest? Why, this is actually a surprising moment in the story, in the Genesis story. We, we read how uh, for six days, morning and evening, God has been speaking the universe into existence. By mere words, galaxies pop into being. Just by speaking, the land forms and water and there are fish and birds and land animals and all these things come into existence and and God effortlessly with great power he brings all this into existence and then surprise God rests and so we should pause to consider why did God rest well first of all let's rule out some of the reasons why God did not rest right first of all God's rest was not because he got tired. God was not resting to replenish depleted stores of energy. After all, we know that God never gets tired. Isaiah tells us this in the prophet Isaiah in the 40th chapter. He says, he says God is a God He has limitless reserves of energy. I mean, he could have spoken a trillion universes into existence, and he could have done it not for six days, but for six billion days, and he wouldn't have been a a little bit more tired. I mean, God's energy, his strength is limitless. There is no limit to his strength and what he could do. So God certainly did not rest because he was tired. You and I get tired. You and I need to take a nap. You and I need to put our heads on our pillow and and sleep for eight or so hours every night. And even even then we wake up feeling like we're exhausted. We get tired. God never gets tired. And by the way, isn't that a comfort to us? Isn't it a comfort to us to know that we serve a God who never gets tired? He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He never takes a nap. We can always depend on him. And he is the one, when we feel tired and when we are fatigued, the Bible says, we can mount up in his strength like a wing, like, the, like on eagle's wings. He gives strength to the weary. God didn't rest because he was tired. Here's another reason God didn't rest. God didn't rest because he intended to never do anything again. The word rest, it, it, it's, it sounds like this in the Hebrew, Shabbat. Now, it literally means to cease or a cessation of activities, you can probably hear the similarity to our word for Sabbath, Shabbat. God Shabbated on the seventh day. He Sabbathed, as it were. Simply means to take a break. But God didn't rest because he didn't intend to do anything else. After all, the whole Bible goes on to record the wonderful works of God. I mean, after this moment, said God rested, but he continued to do things. Like He revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He continued to work to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. He continued to work to reveal himself through prophets to his people. Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 17, after he healed somebody on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath, Jesus said, I and my Father have always been working. We've always been at work. 
I mean, the Bible tells us that, that even though God has created all things and has ceased from his creational labor, he still upholds all things by the word of his power. So when God rested, it doesn't mean he had depleted his energy stores. He needed to take a big good night's sleep to get more energy. No, no, that's not it at all. Neither is it because he ceased all kind, all kind of work whatsoever. So what in the world does it mean that God rested? Well, I'm going to state it to you, and then I'm going to show it to you by the, a picture and a precept that follows, all right? God rested not because he needed the break. He rested to show us the purpose for all of life and all of activity in life. God rested. He ceased his creative labors to show us the purpose for our lives and all activity within li our lives, and that is to enjoy a relationship with God in what he has created. God rested to show us that all of life and its activity is to enjoy a relationship with God in the work he has completed. He completes the work, and then he rests within the work, and we see this by picture and by precept. All right, here's the picture. The, the, the best way that I could show you what this rest is is by just showing you what goes on here in Genesis chapter 2. What, is, what follows this account? What follows this God's resting is God's putting human beings into a garden. What rest is is best pictured by Eden, a garden in which humans are placed not to create something, but to thrive within what has already been created. So he puts Adam and Eve into a garden of Eden, and he says, cultivate it, keep it, care for it. What is that? It's a different kind of activity. It's a kind of activity that rests within God's creative activity and continues to do those things in a relationship with God. So when God wants to show us what rest looks like, he shows us a garden. And human beings living within that garden in a relationship with God to show us this is what life is for. All of life and all of its activities is to be enjoyed in a relationship with, relationship with me. So God shows us by picture what this rest is. But he also shows his people by a precept. And by a precept, I mean a command. So a precept is something someone tells, here's what you're supposed to do. That's a precept. Because after the garden, you know what happened after the Garden of Eden, after human beings were in the garden. Why did they have to go out of the garden? Why did they have to leave? Because of sin. What happened to work after the garden? What happened to work? Well, after sin, work became not something pleasant. What did it become? It became really torturous, toil, grueling labor. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, God said to Adam, now because of your sin, it will be by the sweat of your brow that you'll eat bread until the day you return to the ground because out of it you are taken and to it you shall return. In other words, God's saying this, because of your sin, work is no longer a delight, it's a drudgery to work to survive. Have you ever noticed that kids, for example, and I was like this too, you'll play really well at something until you're required to do it. 
piano play, dinking around on the piano is fun until you, until you start taking lessons and then it becomes, once it becomes something you have to do, then for some reason all the joy gets sapped up, out of it. So sometimes maybe you're in a career right now that you went into that career thinking this would be so much fun and as soon as that thing became not something you do as a hobby but something you do just to make a living, suddenly it doesn't become fun anymore. For some reason the idea that you are on a treadmill and you're like trying to trying to run and, and faster and faster, the fact that you, you can't stop it. You, for some reason, it doesn't, it's not an enjoyable task anymore. It's a toilsome task. Yes, you know what God is talking about in Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your brow, you will, you will eat bread until you return to the dust. After the fall, work becomes grueling labor. It's toilsome. It's torturous sometimes even. And because of that, we find Later on in the Pentateuch, in the book of Exodus, the people of Israel, they found themselves slaves to Pharaoh. Their work in Egypt is not garden-type work. It's not cultivating something in a, in a fruitful environment. It's slave labor. For 400 years, they're in, captive, they're in captivity. Until finally God releases them from captivity to Egypt and God sets them free. God consecrates them. That, mean, that means that God is making them his very own. They used to serve Pharaoh. That was grueling, torturous slave labor. Not only did they have to build these great works for Pharaoh and, and make bricks, they had to go out and find their own straw to make the bricks. I mean, this, this is almost an effort to not only work but create, they were facing a burden they could not bear. And God says, I'll take you out of that so you can serve me. I've, he consecrated them to himself. And because of that, he gives them a command. We find it the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And that is the command to observe the Shabbat, the Sabbath, so that they would remember that life is all about a relationship with God who consecrates them to himself. Because God rescued them from the torturous slave labor in Egypt, God now gives them a command so that every seven days they will remember what life is really for. Not working for that which will never satisfy but life is for having a relationship with the only one whose ownership of them will bring life instead of death. That was what the Sabbath was for. We read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, also in Ezekiel chapter 20. God says, I gave you my Sabbaths so that you will remember that you are my very own. I, I broke the chains of your bondage and I bound you to myself in a life-giving relationship so that you can serve me instead of serving Satan and serving death personified by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So we, we see that the idea that, that God's resting is meant to show us what life is for, and that is to have a relationship with God, and within that relationship to cultivate what God has created. That's what that rest is for. We see that in the picture of the Garden of Eden, and we also see it in the precept of the fourth commandment. Now, this command that God gave his people, the fourth commandment, it has a, a backward look and a forward look. 
It's meant to look backward toward God's release of them from slavery, but it's also meant to look forward to the time in which God will release them from all kinds, every kind of slavery, including their slavery to death. So at a, at a backward-looking orientation and a forward-looking orientation, that is the meaning of God's purpose. That is God's purpose for rest. Now, I think it's kind of clear to us then, if we look at God's purpose for rest, that this is a kind of rest that we need. I wonder how many of you, at the beginning of the service, when I said, how, what's your level of rest right now? Do you feel restless? Is there, is there a burden on your heart that just seems to sag you down? Or do you feel like you're so often engaged in frenzied kind of activity? You just seem like you can't stop. Almost you're, maybe it's as if you're addicted to work or addicted to distraction, and you you're feel frenzied and unsettled. And as you hear this about God resting and God communicating to you that all of life and the activity of life is to have a relationship with, with you, God wants to have a relationship with you, then there's a part of you that says, yes, yes, I do feel really weary. And it's not just my bodily weariness. It's not just physical fatigue. There is a deeper kind of fatigue that I feel. There's a deeper kind of frenzied anxiety that I feel, like I'm running away from something. I don't know quite what it is, and it's, it's chasing me, and I keep on running faster, and I can't even seem to identify. It's behind me. I could hear its footsteps, but I don't know what it is, so I keep on running. There was a, a time several years ago when I was on a pastoral planning retreat with some fellow pastors at a different ministry, and we would often go to a beach in South Carolina to get away and make, do some ministry planning. And one evening after the sun had gone down, I decided to take a nice, relaxing, restful stroll on the beach. And so I took my socks and shoes off and put it at a particular place, I think by the stairs, uh, the access and the access to the beach. And I just started to walk calmly, barefoot in the sand. It was really nice. The, I could hear the ocean lapping against the, 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 the seashore and it was very dark, though. I didn't really anticipate it being so dark. There was Either there was no moon or there was a cloud cover, so uh, I could just see a little bit of the, the, some city lights in the distance that silhouetted some of the buildings along the beach there. And as I was beginning to walk, I kept he hearing what I thought was something behind me. And so I started to walk a little faster. <laughs> and I kept hearing something behind me. And so I started walking even faster. And before I knew it, now you're going to think this is really foolish, and I bet I looked, I looked very foolish there on the beach. My, I started running. <laughs> I literally started running. And as I started running, I don't know what is behind me, but it seems like it's still behind me, so I started running faster and faster until I finally convinced myself this isn't anything chasing me. It's not a person chasing me. It's just the wind rustling in the grass, and that's exactly what it was. It was just the wind rustling the grass behind me. I thought I was being chased by something. But, but what if, what if I was really being chased by something? I mean, what if there is some rabid, that's exactly what I was doing, what if there's some rabid dog behind me and it could outrun me? And what I knew is, fast as I might run, 
hard as I might try, that wild animal is behind me and eventually it's going to catch up. And all my running is doing is just extending my stroll a little longer before I finally, it will finally catch up with me. What was supposed to be a restful stroll on the beach turns out to be a frenzied fleeing from some nameless terror behind me. And maybe that's what your life feels like right now. Why do you put so many hours in at work? Is it really because you need the money? Why do you make yourself so busy with this activity and that event? And why do you cram your calendar with so many things? Is it really because you have to do all those things? Or is, this, or is there some addiction to the frenzied labor and maybe it is that, that you feel pursued by something you can't name and you're running from it? Or why are you so addicted to your phone or to your computer or why can you never just break yourself away from social media or these distractions that are bombarding us why is it it is almost as if we are addicted to a frenzied labor because in the back of our minds something is chasing us and we're afraid to stop long enough to think about what it might be the christian apologist blaise pascal said that one of human beings' biggest problem is their inability to sit quiet in a room with nothing to distract them because if we do that, we are afraid that the depth of our unhappiness will speak louder and louder and louder. And we'll realize that there is this haunting emptiness within our soul that nothing else will fill, no matter how busy we get, no matter how much we work, no matter how many activities we fill our lives with. And we begin to get the sense that we need rest. And it is not a rest that is simply a ceasing of all activity. It is a rest that completely reorients our activity, that simply, that, 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 on a deep level transforms our activity so instead of running from some nameless terror we are actually thriving and living now what if on that beach i were to see in front of me someone with a, a weapon and they're saying it's going to be okay i've got this you can stop running now you can rest now because that terror behind you that death that is nipping at your heels I will conquer that so you can rest. But that's what Jesus has done for us. That, that takes us to the, God's provision for rest. So we need rest, and it is a rest that is deeper than just the rest of our bodies, the rest that we, of, the, of the weariness that we feel physically, but we need a rest that only Jesus can provide. So God's provision for rest. Now we see God's provision for rest in Jesus. I'm going to look at, we're going to look at the fact that we see this in his invitation, in his actions, but also in his death and resurrection. So first of all, let's see how Jesus is God's provision for our rest in his invitation. And for that, I want you to think back to what you heard earlier in the service, that passage that was read to you when Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. See, Jesus was speaking to people who were so burdened, so weighed down by the pressures of life, 
and yes, by, by the law, by the demands of law, by the sense, I can never do enough to please God. I can never do enough to get to God, to create my own righteousness, to create my own, my own standing for God. And people were weighed down by this pressure, and it was exhausting them and making them fatigued and weary. And Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. But not only did he give this invitation, but he also proved that he had the authority to give the invitation by his actions. So the events that follow Jesus' invitation, when Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Oh, upon what authority can Jesus say, I'm the one to give you this true rest. I'm the one to bring you into this right relationship with God in which your activities are not a frenzied fleeing from a nameless foe, but rather a living in the light of presence. Who are you, Jesus, to say such a thing? Well, here's what Jesus does. He takes the Sabbath, the Shabbat of all days, and on that day, he begins healing people. He goes into the tabernacle, uh, the, the, uh, the synagogue rather, and here's a man with a, with a hand that's all dried up and shriveled and withered. It's useless to him. And, and Jesus says to him, stretch forth your hand and it's healed. And the enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees say, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus says, but that's what the Sabbath is for. The Sabbath is for a day of healing. It is for a new kind of creation that it's untwisting the perversion that sin has wrought upon this earth. Jesus, he healed a lame man, a man that was lame on the Sabbath, as recorded in John chapter 5. Here's a man sitting by this pool. He's lame. He can't, he can't get to it. There was this kind of a superstition that every time that there was waves in that pool, it was an angel disturbing the pool, and if they got into the water in time, they may be able to receive some of the supernatural healing properties of the water in that pool. And he says, I can't get down there because every time there's a, a ripple in the pool, someone beats me to it, and Jesus heals him. And Jesus' enemies are again furious. And Jesus responds by saying, but this is what the Sabbath is for. In fact, Jesus went so far as to say, I am the Lord of Shabbat. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the master who has the authority to give the rest that this day is all about. But by creating all kinds of rules and regulations about the Sabbath, these leaders were doing the very opposite of what the Sabbath was intended to do, and that was to be a day of good, a day of healing, a day in which we are thriving in a relationship with God. And Jesus comes to bring the true rest to every weary soul by saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. We see this in his actions, his actions of healing. But we also see this in his death and resurrection. The Jesus, the way Jesus brought rest to people was not just by healing their bodies. Because our problem is deeper. Throughout his life, Jesus was at work, and he was doing a work that would culminate on the cross. He was accomplishing a new kind of creation. And just like in Genesis chapter 2, when God 
had completed all of creation. It was finished. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The work is done. There's nothing for you to create because the Son has created it. The new creation has begun. It is finished, he cries. And after he says, it is finished, it is completed, Jesus rested. Jesus' body lay in the tomb on the Sabbath so that on the next day, this new creation can begin. So that Jesus, this was Jesus' way of saying, just like God resting in Genesis chapter 2 was God saying, here's what life is all about. Life is all about, life and all its activities is all about a relationship with me to enjoy me and what I've created. So Jesus, in saying it is finished, and then rising from the dead on the first day of the week, he's saying this is what life is all about. It is all about having a relationship with me and doing it in the work that he has completed. It is finished. It is done. Now rest in that. Rest in the finished work of Christ. That's what Jesus is inviting you to do. That is God's provision for your rest. His provision for your frenzied, anxious, burdened labor has been done by his dying on the cross and taking that burden for you. It is done. So rest in it. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection means. Now, I want to speak directly, as directly as I know how to do, to those of you who have not yet found rest in Christ. All this talk about finding rest in Christ and this, the, the, the description that I've given to you of a frenzied labor, if at any point you have thought that's describing me because I've never really chosen Christ, I've never really come to Christ, can I ask you a few questions? I, I, I don't know who you are, but you know who you are, so listen carefully. Is your own work satisfying you? Can your labors really bring you rest? How has it worked for you so far? Has your busyness has your anxiety, has all the work that you and energy you have spent to find meaning in life, have you found it? Here's another question. What is lacking in what Jesus has done? What is lacking? What has Jesus not done for you? Is there something in Jesus' work that you think, well, it's not quite enough? Is there any lack in his power that he has displayed in rising from the dead? Is there, any, is there any lack in the love that he showed you by pouring out his life for you? Why not come to him? Why, why not see in G, if you are holding back, if, you, if you are, there's any sense about you that says the rest, the, un, the unrest, 
the, the frenzied anxiety I feel in my soul, I, I see in Jesus the fulfillment of that need, then, then why not come to him and cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe that what you've done for me is enough. My friend, you can do that this morning, and you must. It is your most urgent need. But I also want to speak to those who would say, I have come to Jesus for rest, but you're struggling to live restfully in him. Because you may have come at some point in your life to rest in Jesus, but your life is, is still restless. You need a fresh reminder of what Jesus has done for you and that it is done for you. This this sense that there's always a cloud over your head, a frown from God, a look of displeasure, a hand holding you at a distance, that is not the God that you serve. You serve a God that is saying, come to me. The work is done. You have no more to contribute to salvation. You can't make it any better than Jesus already made it. Can you improve upon the work of Christ? Do you have any power within yourself to do anything more for yourself than what Jesus has already done? He has said it is finished and that should be enough for you, so rest in that. This nagging idea, this, this anxiety that just eats away at the back of your mind, I have not done enough for God. There's something more that God wants me to do to, 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 to earn his favor. Oh, listen to these words. Jesus says it's finished, so, so rest in him. Resting in Jesus will reveal itself in your motives, and I believe in your habits, too. In your motives, your work for God and your activity for God will not be done out of a sense of, of guilt. It will not be done out of a sense of drudgery, but it will be fueled by delight. Why? Because life is for enjoying your relationship with God and what He has created. Why are you serving the Lord? Maybe some of you have given your lives to serving the Lord. Some of you are very involved in the ministry right here. Why are you doing that? Are you doing that from and in a place of rest? Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of work so that no one should boast. And then it goes on to say, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Even the good things that you do, God has already prepared those ahead of time, so you can't take any credit for them. So that you, even in your service for God, you can rest. Because you're working not for something that God is dangling out in front of you, but rather you're working from and in the rest that Jesus has provided for you. And that should motivate you. But also the rest in Christ should also be evident in your habits. You know, the fourth commandment to observe the Sabbath Paul speaks of it in Colossians as being only a shadow of the things to come. All ten of the commandments still are binding upon us, but Jesus has deepened and intensified their significance, including this one. 
to observe the Sabbath, to observe the rest, finds its ultimate fulfillment in our coming to Jesus for the rest he provides. But there's also timeless wisdom that we can apply to our lives as far as our cycles of rest and work. I would ask you this, where in the world can you go in which people don't recognize somehow the wisdom of a seven-day cycle? But where can you find that cycle? Do you find it in the, in the cycles of the moon? Do you find, find it in, the, revela- in the, the, the way the earth spins around? No, where do you find the cycle? You find it in the wisdom of God's word. Periods of work followed by a period of rest. So the question I want to ask you, if you see the wisdom in this, is the rest that you are receiving in Christ, who is the true rest, is it, be, is it being reflected in your regular habits? Do you ever stop? Just stop what you're doing to think about your relationship with God. Are you so frenzied and so hassled and so tied to your phone or to your computer or to your work that it's like a chain and you can never break it and every time it buzzes or bings or dings or whatever it does to you, you're just, you're you're snapped to attention. You're you're like dragging the rocks from one pile, from one end of the concentration camp to the other. You could never stop. And my friend, if you are finding in Jesus your true rest, can't you trust him to stop that frenzied labor and make a space in your daily schedule for time to enjoy and cultivate your relationship with God? We, we, we are so, we're too busy. We're afraid of silence. We're afraid that if we stop for a moment, we'll miss out on something or fail to do something. There'll be some breaking news article that we'll miss. It's gonna be okay. The world will go on. God is still on his throne. You're still loved by him. You can take that time in your daily schedule, in your weekly schedule. In the, the life of the people of Israel, there was the Sabbaths. The reason why, you know, quoting that Ezekiel 20 passage, I, I deliberately used the plural because that is, it's plural there. It's not just one day a week, but there were multiple Sabbaths. There are multiple days of rest. In fact, it was not just a weekly cycle, but there was a, a, every 49 years, there was a year of jubilee. See, by, by taking time, by taking a day, by taking a part of the day, it's a way of saying, I can stop, I can stop the treadmill. I can get out of the hamster wheel because I belong to God. I don't belong... I'm not a slave to my employer. I'm not a slave to my work. I'm not, there's, there's no one else that I truly serve except the one who in serving him makes me truly free and at rest. And if you are resting in Christ, isn't there great wisdom in letting that rest be reflected in your daily and weekly rhythms? You might say, 
I am at a very busy stage in my life right now. I've got, how in the world can I ever not be distracted? I've got things going on all the time. I've got little kids all around me. They're const- they need my attention. They, need, they demand my, my, my energy. You know, God does put us through different seasons of life. And in every season of life, God has his gracious way of providing rest for us. I think of the example of Susanna Wesley. Now, Susanna Wesley, those of you who might know that she was the mother of two incredibly talented and famous Christians, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. We sing many hymns written by Charles Wesley. Susanna Wesley was their mother, but she was not only their mother, she was the mother, she gave birth to 19 children. Nine died as infants. That's a big responsibility. Added to that, her husband Samuel wasn't a great help. He was a minister, but he spent a lot of their family's money and most of his time working on a commentary on the book of Job. So here he is spending his family's money away from his wife who has all these kids to take care of, making her live the life of Job while he's writing a commentary on Job. In fact, one time over a minor disagreement between them, he left her for a year. And yet she, in her devotion to God, found time to rest with all the kids around her. And here's how she did it. She would take her apron and put it over her head. And she'd have a Bible below the, in that apron. And the kids knew that when apron, the apron was over mommy's head, you don't bother mommy. Because mommy is spending time with God. And in that way, Susanna Wesley was able to carve out a space, a time, a place to be with God. And that rest that she experienced, of course, was not a rest that she, that she just brought selfishly to her, but it was, that was her way of being able to serve and care for her children from a place of rest. I don't give that example to you mothers especially to overwhelm you. <laughs> I just give that example by way of an encouragement that those who are finding their rest in Christ also find a way in their regular habits to cultivate that space for rest so that we can remind ourselves life is not all about busyness. It's not all about activity. It's not all about hectic going from one thing to the next. We should live our lives in the presence of God and have the freedom because God makes us free to live for him and serve him. A great Christian, Augustine, says the soul is restless until it finds its rest in God. I pray and hope, my friends, that each one of you would find your rest in Christ and live and work in that rest. Would you bow your heads? Hey, just a moment. 
your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and we should take some time to think about this. We shouldn't leave a time like this in which we've tried as best as we can to explain the meaning and application of God's word. We shouldn't leave a time like this without taking time to consider what ought I to change? Like there's something, surely something in your schedule or surely a habit that you have that, that you need to change so that you can remind yourself that life is about living and delighting in the presence of God and all of life's activity is to be done in the rest that you have in Christ. We have to think about this. And I've spoken very directly to some of you in this room. You haven't come to Christ for your rest. You may be a child. You may be a teenage guy or a teenage girl or a young adult. And you come here Sunday after Sunday and you hear the preaching and you're maybe not here necessarily because you want to because it's part of your family schedule but I want to ask you this question are you my friend my young friend resting in Christ and if you haven't trusted in Jesus but I urge you to do that and if you are doing that right now and crying out to him and if you need someone to pray with I would invite you I'll be I'm going to hang out at the front of this auditorium right by the piano for a few minutes after the service and if you have questions, I would invite you to come and talk with me. And for all of us, let us carefully consider the rest that we have in Christ to delight in that and enjoy that for his glory. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us as we continue to respond I pray for any who needs to trust you for the first time that they would and that we all would know a deeper sense of the rest that we have in Christ in whose name we pray, amen.